I don't know why I decided to do the math at three in the morning, but I did it at three in the morning. I'm like, how am I going to get 375,000 customers? Like how? That's like, well, I'm fooling myself. And, you know, I had one of these dark nights of the soul. And but the answer was kind of built into the idea, which is you don't go out and get 375,000 customers. You bring together a group of stakeholders that each have a thousand customers. You know, we brought in 1,700 bookstores. We brought in other affiliates and groups like the Authors Guild. And we brought in places like BuzzFeed and New York Magazine and, and the New York Times that all started linking to Bookshop. We brought in book clubs. We brought in authors. Everybody that we brought in had an audience. Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. I'm Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant, and my mission is to help the world's top CEOs and entrepreneurs shift from incremental to exponential progress and create a huge positive impact on our world. Now, that requires you to reinvent yourself and transform your business. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Andy, uh, it's great uh, to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to jump in. You're a man with a mission, and you have a—it's a pretty small mission. You've just decided a few years ago to take on a small local business known as Amazon.com. So it sounds like it's a David versus Goliath story or something. So how did that happen? Tell us a bit about your origin story. Right? How did you get into to uh, creating a bookshop.org and taking on one of the biggest companies in the entire world. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm somebody who, for whom books have always been a really important part of my life. And I, and I believe beyond my personal attachment to books and how important they've been to shaping myself, my worldview, my understanding of myself and others. But also I just believe that books are a net cultural good that has helped humanity. And, and you can see the evolution of moral consciousness and society from the point that books really became popularized, um, how much technological um, leaps forward have been fueled by books and also just kind of consciousness raising. So I believe that books are an important part of society and I want them to continue to be a relevant part of our culture. And I think that bookstores you know, I was in the publishing industry. I was publishing a lot of books and um, I would see bookstores start to suffer from the massive growth of Amazon. And Amazon went from being 15% of the market to 35% of the market to by the time we launched Bookshop, over 50% of the market. And at a certain point, these kind of mom and pop high street bookshops won't be able to survive if Amazon grows more. Like they're already kind of strained. And yet every single independent local bookstore is for their community, an advocate and an activist in the favor of books. And they're staffed by people who have loved books enough that they want to dedicate their professional lives to them, even though it's not a high paying profession. You know, they're booksellers like librarians are people who are living their passion. And, and I always wanted to help these people. And I wanted to, I felt like helping them would help um, make sure the books stayed relevant and, and safeguard their future in general and, and the, the diversity of books that are available in those shops as well. So I looked at all the different reasons why 
bookstores were being feeling pressure and I felt like we needed to create something that was so simple that any bookstore, no matter how small their resources were, could participate in and that would allow them to compete with Amazon for online sales and allow their customers, their loyal customers, an easy way to support them when they were buying books online. Thank you. That's, uh, is, I love it. The fact that you identified a need, like these are people I want to serve, people who are standing up for their passion and, and creating something which is valuable that I see as valuable uh, in, in society. And you decided to do something about that. So I love that kind of, Michael, stakeholder focused. <laughs> yeah, these are people I want to actually serve at the heart of the business. Now, um, so I know that was the beginning of the journey. You, you launched bookshop.org. You scaled to, I think, $60 million in the first year. You you grew 50x in one month at one point. Perhaps we'll, we can get in, into some of that. And I know you, you know, sort of the outcome of this, I mean, perhaps we'd, let's just jump forward. Like, where are you now as a business? Could I give us an idea of the scale? I mean, I know that you've just been recognized by uh, real leaders as part of their impact awards because I think you are uh, you said standing up for small businesses and 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 uh, working for kind of cultural benefits. So I guess that's where that came from. But just kind of, when did you set up Bookshop.org? And like, how many years later? Kind of, where, where have you got to in terms of scale and impact? Would you say? Yeah. Well, we're just getting started. Really, we've been around for three years. We launched right before the pandemic hit, and so it was extremely good timing. I was really worried about like what's going to happen if nobody counters Amazon and book selling in the next three years, like how many bookstores are going to get a business. But then it turned out that there was a much more immediate threat on the horizon, which was COVID-19. And because of COVID, all these stores had to go into lockdown. When they were in lockdown, they couldn't sell books. They couldn't have risk their staff going in to sell books and they couldn't open their doors. So suddenly e-commerce became extremely important to bookstores all over the US and the UK. We launched in the US in January. We launched in the UK in November. Both were launched into incredible booming situations because they mo- shifted all of their attention and focus to online sales. And in, in a way, we, like, we grew three or four years worth of growth in three months. And you know, since then, we've been sort of trying to build the plane in midair, as they say. We started with four employees and suddenly we were doing by the time we were in July of 2020, we did $12 million in sales in a single month. At that point, I think we had eight employees. We were barely holding it together. We've had to build a whole infrastructure of whole, you know, customer service team, knowledge bases, workflows, integrations with different suppliers, um, just all kinds of e-commerce basics and creating a great customer experience, bringing creating loyalty among our customers. So we've been focused on all that stuff. And now that we feel like we've got it down, we are looking to expand into digital um, content. So we're launching an ebook platform in the US um, to kind of counter the Amazon Kindle and help independent bookstores tap into that revenue stream. Because right now, if you if you like to read ebooks and you want to support local bookstores, there's no real way to do that. And yet ebooks are 20% of the market. We're going to launch ebooks and audio in the UK. And so then we're going to have like a feature set that matches Amazon's, where Amazon has Kindle and the Amazon is audible for audiobooks. We want to have the same thing, but we want to have that in a place where people who want to support local small business instead of big business um, and are kind of socially conscious, ethical consumers have a way to consume books and literature in a way that 
fits with their values and supports their local shops. So tell me what happened on that period where you suddenly grew 50x with four employees. What was going through your mind? How did you cope with that threat? Huge opportunity. You're like, oh, wow, I've launched my business just at the time when my target market absolutely needs it, right? So it's a great timing in, in some way, you know, in many ways, right? Uh, and yet you're feeling this stretch. So before people just started this thing and we're doing all this, you know, we've got all these customers coming, all this inbound, we now need to deliver. What was going on for you in your mind as a leader? How did you cope with that situation? Honestly, it was day to day. Every day, I would be like, I don't know how I can get through. And like this day, um, it was insane for a number of reasons. First of all, I still had a day job. At the time that I launched Bookshop, I still had a full-time job as a COO of a publishing company. So I was. this is my side gig that suddenly was seven times bigger than my, my day job. And I was in a small New York City apartment with two kids who suddenly had to do remote learning. So they were on devices doing their homework or doing their classwork or in class on Zooms while I was on Zooms trying to run my company. I was, you know, sleeping five hours a night, dealing with glitches and hiccups, trying to keep the site up, trying to make sure that all the customers who ordered books got them, trying to onboard bookstores, et cetera, and trying to hire like crazy. It was the most stressful and overwhelming time of my life. And I'm sure all of my employees felt the same way. But the great thing about it is that we had stores, some of whom had been around for 50 years. In the UK, we had stores that have been around for 100 years. They were reaching out to us and being like, thank God you came along. Like Without you, we would not have survived the pandemic. And that was just the fuel that kept us going, um, was how many people were relying on us. And the fact that we were able to make a positive difference in a time where there was a lot of pessimism, anxiety, and hopelessness, and we were out there doing good. And so that made it all worth it. One question I have is around your team, because obviously you, you just said, you know, your team really stood by you and, you know, they, they were feeling this wave of stuff coming at them as well. And I've now been building out your team, I'm sure, and uh, stabilizing things somewhat after that initial spike. But, you know, if your team were to, describe you you know what words do you think they would use you know like how, how what would they say really drives you and you know governs how you show up in the world i certainly believe that they think i'm like a mission-driven visionary and that's i think in the beginning they would have said that I was too, I, I wanted to do too much too fast. I don't know if there's a word for that, but I was like very too ambitious in a way. And because of that, I might have been a little uh, too impulsive. And that's something I've learned over the past three years is to slow down a little bit and execute things well and fully rather than trying to take it all on you know, seeing the potential in everything and wanting to do it everything. I think that's often an entrepreneur's journey is like, you realize I can't do everything by trying to do everything. I'm doing nothing well, and I need to instead focus on the most important things. So that's been a big part of my professional journey since Bookshelf launched. I've been doing the same thing, if I'm honest, <laughs> that uh, it's so easy that to multiply the number of things that we do, actually multiplying our impact comes from narrowing I have fewer things and better um 
you know, I've got a little sticker on my desk right here. It says uh, remarkable creativity, you know? So thing I'm working on, you know, is how do I bring remarkable creativity into everything I do? The podcast is still more to go, to be honest. I'm sure we can make it more remarkable, but that's the thing I'm really sitting with. Like, how do I do, you know, how, because there's so much noise out there, right? There's so many things. How do you make things that really pop? Um, so yeah, I think that's a great, great catch as an entrepreneur. It's so easy. I see them all the time. Projects left, right, and center, right? The project of the day, strategy of the day, and that team can't cope. Yeah, team can't cope. So talk about being a mission-driven visionary. You, you just said that. That's how the team would see you. So how do you describe your own mission? Like, what is the journey that you're on? I mean, clearly you've given us a sense of what you're up to with, you know, um, with um, with the business. But how would you describe like, that bigger impact you want to make in the world if you were 25 years from now or whatever it is looking back? What would really light you up? Well, I, I am a firm believer in human scale community. And when I say human scale community, I mean like I know my neighbors, I'm part of my local culture. I think that, you know, the interaction that we have with people on a day-to-day basis is important to our mental health and just important to our sense of self. It's where we live most of our lives. And I think that we've been sort of moving in society towards losing that and ending up with these huge multinational corporations that might market to us as if we're individual communities, but they're not, they don't really have skin in the game. So what I would really love to have happen is just the way book, uh, Amazon started with books and they were just doing books for years. And then they grew into other verticals. And now I don't think books are particularly important to them at all. I would like Bookshop to start with books and then help all of these independent small businesses survive and thrive in an age of e-commerce and then move on to other segments of small business. Because just like it's important for in my downtown or high street for there to be a local bookshop, I also think it's important that there's a local hardware store and that there's a local toy store and that there's a local pet shop. And all of these kind of independent, quirky businesses that are individual people's dreams. And I think that they're also great employers. They they give people good careers where they feel like meaning in their lives. And they're very valuable to the people who live in those communities. I just think they all need a model where they're allowed to compete with the Walmarts or Amazons of the world and hold their own and let their customers support them and still make it as easy as buying something from Amazon, right? So I should be able to support my local toy store as easily as I can buy a toy on Amazon. I should be able to support my local beauty shop as easy as I can buy makeup on, you know, Amazon. And that's about giving all these tools and all these industries, like the tools that they need to create digital storefronts and easily fulfill orders and build. And so like if 25 years, I would love to have taken bookshops model and replicated it across industries and strengthened communities and downtown so that they don't end up being like something that we look back on and say, well, wasn't the 20th century great when people would walk downtown and have coffee in a cafe and then visit their local bookstore, et cetera. Like that should be part of our lives well into the future. 
that's so clear and, and compelling. Uh, it's really, really clear vision. Uh, did you start there? Or has that emerged as you kind of realize this doesn't apply just to books? Yeah, it, it emerged for sure. I mean, it took a while. Independent booksellers are very independent. They're independent minded and they're a little bit skeptical of technology in general, because it's always been an adversary to them. Like online shopping has always been an existential threat to them. So building trust with the independent bookseller community has been a lot of work. And, but it's also taught me a lot it, and taught me a lot about how small businesses operate and how resource constrained they are. And, and that, then, you know, I was thinking about how they're curators, really, like every bookstore is a curator. There's 12 million books in circulation in the United States and every bookstore is choosing like, these are the 2000 books that we think are important enough to put on our shelves, right? Well, that's also true of toy stores. Toy stores are curating too. There's Legos and soccer balls and hula hoops and they're deciding which ones that they want to curate. And so they're endorsing things and they're kind of creating a, a, a wonderful space that they want to fill with the most delightful things that they know about and understand and kind of share those with their communities. And I think that's great. And there's no reason that those shouldn't have like an umbrella over them that protects them and facilitates them bringing those goods to their customers because you they don't need to like be beholden on inventory like what what how much inventory fits into my 1500 square foot shop if i have wholesalers that have all of the products that i need why can't i sell direct to consumer and have the wholesaler send that product to the to my local customer um, or maybe a customer that wants to support my shop but lives in a different state or comes when they're on vacation. We've got shops in um, Nantucket and in Martha's Vineyard, which are islands off the coast of Massachusetts. And they're huge summer communities, but until we existed, their customers had no way of supporting them year round, but now they do because we have central wholesale that can send a book directly to a customer. And it makes it so much easier for the stores to administrate e-commerce. So like kind of figuring out how, how to make it simple as possible for the customer and how to make it as simple as possible for the business to engage in e-commerce and make that a supportive collaborative relationship and then scale that across industries i hope you're enjoying this conversation this is just a quick interlude to remind you that my book making time for strategy is now available if you want to be less busy and more successful i highly recommend that you check it out why not head over to makingtimeforstrategy.com to find out the details. Now, back to the conversation. You talked at the start about building trust. You said that trust was really important as you built those relationships with those stores. How did you do that? So how did you actually win them over? Yeah, was that a marketing campaign? Was it like a want to you just go talk to them? How did you go about solving the trust question? I mean, I went to conferences, I did presentations, I got, I made inroads with the, with the trade associations and I enlisted advisory boards with respected community members from that community, those communities. And I listened and ultimately I think the main thing I was able to get across is that this was a collaborative 
and cooperative venture. This is not a competitive venture. That, and I think that that is one of my main points that I that governs like everything I do is like there are people who look at life as a competition and there are businesses that look at life as a competition and those businesses want to win. And if they're a startup and they want to disrupt an industry, they want to bring the dinosaurs to extinction and they want to take that market share and win. But we're not like that at all. We're trying to arm the dinosaurs. We're trying to give the dinosaurs ways that they can survive through the next hundred years. We love the dinosaurs. We want to help the dinosaurs and we want everybody to collaborate and cooperate and create a bright future for everyone. So Bookshop is benefiting authors by making sure that the diverse ecosystem around books still exists and the support that they get from independent booksellers continues for the next hundred years. Bookshop helps publishers. Bookshop helps book lovers and book buyers. We help bookshops. Everybody has helped and everybody shares in the success. Um, and so that's a big rationale for everything that we do. And, and eventually booksellers, when they understood that, they were able to engage and trust us because they're stakeholders too. And we're trying to benefit them all. Yeah, I'd have to pick up on that, Andy, because that for me is this stakeholder panorama that you painted so beautifully just then, as opposed to many, you know, sort of say the more mercenary approach to business, which is like, here's my investors, or which might be myself or whatever, stake shareholders. And that's, you know, that's the kind of primary driver for business. And here you're kind of talking about all these other stakeholders that are going to benefit. Um, Jenny, I, you know, I often take even t leadership teams on. Like, who are all these stakeholders that you need to satisfy the demands of? They're going to be conflicting ones, you know, conflicting requirements. But you need to at least understand what people are counting on you for. And then you decide what's your vision amongst all of that. And I think it's how I see my own business. You know, like I see if I can impact, if I can help one chief executive or founder multiply their impact in some way, you know, think bigger than they've ever done before or lead their organization in a different way, then, well, that's going to benefit their their people. That's one scaling impact, like all the people who actually want to get more exciting jobs to do and more fulfilling and more success in that way. But then also, well, those ripple effects on customers, on ecosystems at large. I think that ecosystem thinking is just really, really important. And I think not everybody captures it, but I think you painted yeah. a beautiful picture. Well, that's exactly right. And, and it's so important and it's worth getting up in the morning and doing. And I'm, I'm having been a very competitive person and, um, I'm generally happy when other people are happy and I want other people to feel successful and happy and fulfilled. And I think that's a great place to start a socially conscious business. Um, in the beginning when I was just building bookshop and I had raised some money and, and I was in the product development phase and we hadn't launched yet. I remember waking up one morning at like three o'clock in the morning and it just hitting me the math of like how many customers we would need to actually survive and make an impact. And I'm like, oh, really for this to work, we're going to need at least 375,000 customers. I don't know why I decided to do the math at three in the morning, but I did it at three in the morning. I'm like, how am I going to get 375,000 customers? Like how? That's like... Well, I'm fooling myself. And, you know, I had one of these dark nights of the soul. And but the answer was kind of built into the idea, which is you don't go out and get 375,000 customers. You bring together 
a group of stakeholders that each have a thousand customers. You know, we brought in 1,700 bookstores. We brought in other affiliates and groups like the Authors Guild, and we brought in places like BuzzFeed and New York Magazine and and the New York Times that all started linking to Bookshop. We brought in book clubs. We brought in authors. Everybody that we brought in had an audience. And so we ended up cobbling together over 2 million customers. But that's through the power of these small communities. And we were supporting all these communities and they were bringing their customers to us. And that's part of the power of this kind of, kind of collaborative, cooperative model instead of a competitive model. If everybody's benefiting, then everybody can trust you and everybody can bring their own value to the business. Yeah, that's a beautiful description. Let me turn our eyes to the future for a second. You've talked about this bigger mission that you're on, like there's, there's, there's bookshop uh, and you want to grow that and full potential from that. You talked about ebooks and audiobooks. And then you talked about other other shops, right? Other other stores, other local community um, pillars, you know, other, other key parts of the high street. Um, as you think about that broader mission, which is yeah, a huge mission, right? It's exciting. It's a big one. What are you going to need to do to multiply your own impact, right? Because that's going to be a stretch for anyone. So, what what do you feel needs to come out of you, emerge from you, to help you play at a bigger level, perhaps have more impact than you've had in the past? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is very personal, but um, like my learning how to delegate, getting better at hiring and getting better at deciding to do the stuff that I only I can do and finding everything that somebody else could conceivably do and try to, you know, hire somebody or bring somebody up to the point that they can do that. I think that that kind of specialization is extremely important. It's hard for me, and I think it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs that have been working at a smaller scale where you kind of, you're a generalist, I'm a generalist, and I kind of do everything, and I've always done everything, so I can write a press release, I can talk about social media marketing, I can also talk about like digital order fulfillment and, you know, building a database and all of this, like SQL and all this stuff. And so eventually, I think to really scale your impact, you need to hire people at all of those things that you're good at who are better at it than you and let them do it and try to figure out what are you best at and focus your role to only do that. And I think that that can also be very inspiring for for your team and it can help you be a leader and um, help all of the people that you that work for you kind of grow as well because you're not you know, watching their every move or correcting their every move. So learning that and then scaling the company in that way, I think is the challenge that I'm on right now. And I hope in two years, I'll be beyond that challenge and I'll have perfected it right now or I'm still, it's still a work in progress. The right through it, yeah. Yeah, totally understand that. Well, I think that's always the game, right? It's always actually the journey of multiplying our impact is always letting go of the thing that has got us to where we are. It's like so paradoxical because that, that thing's obviously got us there and we the tendency is to say we'll just do this faster and we're going to get a bit more out of that machine you know and that's why so many people work so crazy hours because they're they're running fast on their little formula that they've figured out it's like they haven't changed gears as i say you know you, you can't shift gears when your foot's on the accelerator jammed on the accelerator you have to kind of learn to stop let go of some things to get to that next level and i think you described that again really nicely in terms of 
yeah, it's easy to be, well, you can be a generalist and expert in a lot of areas, but what's your genius that only you can do? Well, hey, I've loved that conversation, Andy. Um, I know time's kind of catching up on us now. Um, if people want to find out more about Bookshop, about you, about you know, this overall mission that you're on, you know, where should they do that? They can just go to bookshop.org if they're in the US or uk.bookshop.org and browse the site, read about us more on our about page. Um, it explains our mission and how the site works. They want to learn more about me. You know, this podcast helps. And there's uh, there was a profile in Wired Magazine that came out about a month ago that, that goes pretty deep. And yeah, anybody that wants to potentially collaborate and sees value in our mission that wants to align with us in any way, yeah, feel free to reach out. Beautiful. Andy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me. And I wish you all the best as you uh, keep local communities vibrant and, uh, and all the other good stuff that, that you're on a mission to deliver. So thank you once again. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. If you received value from this conversation, please do leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We'd deeply appreciate it. And if you'd like to check out the show notes from this episode, head to xquadrant.com slash podcast, where you'll find all the details. Now, finally, when you're in top leadership, who supports and challenges you at a deep level? to help you multiply your impact. Discover more about the different ways we can support you at xquadrant.com.